0: Good morning, glad you're here to worship with us this morning and so thankful that we can declare our praise and our worship to a God is holy, holy, holy. If you have your Bible, you can turn to to Matthew 16 this morning, that'll be our key text here in a minute, but we're continuing our series on a fresh beginning and I've shared with you if you want to have a fresh beginning so far, you need to be faithful to Jesus. And then it was shared that we need to see Jesus on the pages of Scripture. And last week we saw that if we want to have a fresh beginning, that our perspective matters when it comes to our adversary, Satan, our ally, God, and the adversity that we face in our lives. And this week and next week, I'm going to talk about the church. I think it's so important that we have an understanding of what the church is and what the church is not. And our understanding of what the church is needs to come from Scripture and nowhere else. Growing up, I tried out for several school teams. In the eighth grade, I tried out for the football team. I know you're looking at me and saying, you tried out for the football team? Well, I wanted to try it. I gave it my all. I did what was asked. After a few days of tryouts, I went to the coach's office, and they used to post the names of the kids that made it on the list. I scoured the list for my name several times and it never appeared on the list. I didn't make the team. You know, and one of the coaches told me, he said, you know what, you had a great heart. You worked hard. I was just afraid you were going to get killed out there. I was about 5'7 or 5'8 and weighed about 75 or 80 pounds. I was like, coach, they'd never see me, but he didn't buy it. So. And then I tried out for the basketball team. It came down to me and one of my friends, he was six foot and probably weighed 150, 170 pounds. You can guess who made that team, not me. In ninth grade, I didn't give up. I gave it one final try. I tried out for the freshman basketball team. Once again, I didn't make it. This time I was heartbroken. I thought I should have made it instead of a couple of the other guys that did make it. I knew I was better than them, but the coach didn't see it that way. But why did I try out for all these teams? I really didn't think I was that great. I just wanted to be part of the team. I just wanted to hang out with the guys. You know, when Aaron, our oldest son, he made the school basketball teams in the 6th grade and 7th grade and 8th grade. But he never played that much. In high school, he made the freshman team. Sophomore year, he made the JV team. But he still didn't play that much. And we kept asking him, Aaron, why in the world would you go through all this work? Why would you go to all these practices and not get to play? He said, I just like talking to the guys on the bench and hanging out. I thought, okay, well, that's pretty cool. That wouldn't have been my mindset, but that was his. He just wanted to be part of the team. And then his senior year, his stick-to-itiveness paid off, if that's a word, His perseverance, he stuck with it. He started as a senior and he set the school record for threes made in a single year. He stuck with it. He persevered. But all through those years, all those six or seven years prior to his senior year, all he wanted to do was to be part of the team. You know, one team I'm thankful I don't have to try out for, and the team I'm thankful I'm a part of is God's team. And that's the church. And here's the definition of a team. A team is a number of persons associated together in work or activity. Here's another definition. A team is a group of people with different skills and different tasks who work together on a common project, service, or goal with a meshing of functions and mutual support. And when we look at these definitions, the only conclusion we can come to is the church is a team. The church is comprised of a group of people with different gifts, with different skills, who have a common vision, who have a common mission, who work together for the common goal of knowing Jesus and making Him known. You see, a successful team has the same vision and the same mission. And as Red House Baptist Church, our vision is to gather purposefully, or to gather prayerfully, to grow purposefully and to go passionately. And our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known by loving God and loving others. And a successful team is is a team that goes in the same direction. If a team goes in different directions, if members of the team are doing their own thing, if they're not on the same page, they're not going to accomplish the task that is set before them. On a successful team, everybody contributes. And it's no different in the church. Every member of the church needs to do their part well. Can you imagine in football if a lineman told the coach, Coach, I'm taking the quarterback out so I can play quarterback this week. That wouldn't go so well. If the rod receiver decided he wanted to play center, it wouldn't go for well for him or for the quarterback. You see, in the church, just like on a team, we all have a specific role. And God has a specific purpose for each one of us. For me, God called me to be a pastor, to be a student pastor, and and now the, the senior pastor. I couldn't do what Linda does. I would have less hair than I do now, working with children. I couldn't do what Bill does. Even though I would love to, you wouldn't want me to. That is not my gift. A successful team has unity. A successful team fulfills unity their role. A successful team cares for each other. A divided team becomes a dysfunctional team. And unfortunately, there are many churches who are dysfunctional. There are many churches who are divided. There are many churches who aren't going in the same direction. There are many churches who have no vision and have abandoned their mission, and they're a church in name only. And my prayer for Red House and other churches is to to not be a church in name only, but to be a church who lifts up and who lives out the name of Jesus by loving Jesus and loving others. Over the next couple of weeks, I want us to, to explore these questions. What is the church? Who builds the church? What is the role of the church? What is our responsibility within the church? And why does being a member of a church really matter and by answering these questions i pray you'll have a fresh understanding of what the church is and what the church isn't and what is your part in red house being the church that god wants us to be let's read uh, matthew 16 verses 13 to 18 this is peter's confession of jesus it says when jesus came to the region of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked him, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. The first question I want to answer is, what is the church? The church is comprised of the people of God. You know, people today have a certain idea of what church is. Their idea of church may be shaped by history. Their idea of church may be shaped by tradition or religion or society, or even experience. And what the church is should not come from any of our ideas or the ideas of others. What the church is should come straight from the Word of God. And the first mention of the Word of church in Scripture is from Jesus Himself. We just read it in Matthew 16, 18. This is the first mention of the Word, church, in Scripture. And a little later, we're going to unpack this verse a little more. But the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia means an assembly or called out ones. So the church is the assembly or the congregation of all the people who have been called out of the world by God. It's a group of people who know Jesus intimately and a group of people who are willing to proclaim him confidently. But many people when they hear the word church, they think of a building. Or in someone's ask about a church, they refer to a building. But the New Testament uses the word church often, but never in the context of a building. Never in the context of a program. Never in the context of of an event. The church is so much more than a building or a program or an event. The church is about the people. First century Christians had no building. They met usually sometimes secretly in homes. Romans 16, 5, Paul said this, Greet also the church that meets at their house. Colossians 4, 15, Paul wrote, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. You see, in Scripture, the church was not about the building. In the verses I just read, the house was not the church. The church was in the house. And they gathered together to study the life and the teachings of Jesus and to pour into the lives of each other and to encourage each other. The church in Scripture is about the people. Now as the Christian influence spread, buildings began to be dedicated to worship so that larger groups of people could gather together as one body. But in those cases, the building still did not define the church. The people did. And this is still true today. 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul writes, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul once again emphasizes that God's church is not a building, but it's a group of people who, who have been called out, who have dedicated their lives to following Jesus. And by being joined in Christ, by being in Christ, we were called out of the world and sanctified, Paul said. That means that we were and we are set apart for a special purpose by God and for God. Now the word church, depending on the context, it can refer to one or two things. It can refer to the universal church or it can refer to the local church. In the verse I just read in 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul refers to both. He said the church of God in Corinth. He's speaking to the local Christians in Corinth. That's the local church. But then he adds, all those everywhere who call on the name of Jesus. Here he's referring to the universal church. The universal church is comprised of all believers worldwide. From the Pentecost to the second coming. Every believer in every part of the world is part of the universal church. And one day, the universal church will meet for the very first time. And when is that time when the universal church will meet for the first time? It's when the rapture takes place. When the rapture takes place, every believer in the world, dead and living, will come together for the first time in the presence of Jesus. And each one of us who has professed Christ as our Savior and Lord is part of the universal church. And each one of us who has professed Christ as our Savior and Lord should be part of the local church. And the local church, we need to understand, is simply a microcosm of the universal church. The local church only differs in size from the universal church, but the local church should not differ in substance or being from the universal church. Local churches are separated by geography, but should be united in theology. As the local church constitutes the universal church. You see the purpose of coming together as a local body of believers. Is to exalt Christ. Is to lift up the name of Jesus. Is to encourage believers. And to extend hope to a lost and dying world. Hebrews 10, to 25 says this. Hebrews 10, 20, uh, I'm sorry, 30... Yeah, 23 to 25 says this. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope. Meaning, let us hold on to Jesus. Let us hold on to the hope we have in Christ without wavering for He who promises faithful. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That verse is very insightful into what the church should be about and what the church should do. We should come together to encourage each other. We should come together to to worship Jesus. We should come together to extend hope to a lost and dying world. Now let me say this. Just because you attend or belong to a local church, It does not make you part of the universal church. Everyone in the universal church is a believer. This may not be the case in the local church. Billy Graham said this. He said, the greatest mission field is the American church. There are many local churches who have members who have not given their life to Christ. And just because you have your name on a church roll, Just because your name is in a church database does not mean your name is in God's database. This was me. I was in church from the time I was two. And it wasn't until the age of 17, even though I was considered a member of that church, that I gave my life to Christ. There was one point where as a young child I thought I'd given my life to Christ. And I realized at the age of 17 I hadn't. But in those years from where I thought I gave my life to Christ, when I actually gave my life to Christ, even though the church said I was a member of their church, I wasn't a member of the universal church because I did not know Jesus. So you can be part of a local church and not be part of the universal church. And if you are part of the universal church, if you have given your life to Christ and committed your life to Him, you should be a member of Of the local church. Now in scripture. We see several metaphors for the church. Which is further evidence that the church is not about a building. But a church is about the people. Scripture calls the church the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12.13 Paul wrote. For we are all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body. Like the human body. The church is one body. With many members. Each with a different function. It's the image of unity and the image of diversity. And if you notice in the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that we'll look at more next week, Paul lists a lot of members of the body. The one he does not list is the head. Why? Because the head is not us. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. We are not the head of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. And the most important characteristics of the church It's like the human body is that the church is alive and that the church is active. The church is a living organism. The church is alive because Jesus is alive. And as long as Jesus is alive, the church will always be be alive, which means the church will be alive forever. The church is also compared to the bride of Christ in Ephesians five twenty-two to 33. I don't have time to turn there and read that passage, but in that passage it talks about how Christ is the bridegroom, how the universal church is his bride, and that Jesus loved the church so much that he was willing to give his life for the church. And as individual believers as the church, we have an intimate relationship with Christ. And Paul compares the intimate relationship we have with Christ like a husband and wife. Have a relationship together. Scripture also says that the, the church is the sanctuary of God. Ephesians two nineteen to 22 it says this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. In whom you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Paul is making it clear that people are, that believers are part of this structure, the church, which Paul says exists as a holy temple in the Lord. He says Jesus is the cornerstone. He says the apostles and prophets are the foundation. And he says we who are believers are the additional parts that make up this figurative temple that worships God as part of the church. We serve in God's holy temple and we are to seek to live holy lives that are pleasing to him. Scripture also compares the church to the family of God in Ephesians 2.19, which I just read. He said, you are members of God's household. When we give our lives to Christ, we become part of the universal church, which means we become part of the family of God. God is our father and we are his Children, John one twelve it says, all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to those believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The church is also compared to a flock of to to the flock of God. Paul, in writing to the elders at the church of Ephesus in Acts twenty twenty eight, says this: Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. In First Peter five verses two and four, as Peter was writing to the churches in, in Asia Minor, he says this. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, and when the chief shepherd appears. From these two passages of scripture, it's evident that God is the chief shepherd of the church. And as the people of the church, we are His sheep, and we are His flock. and He leads us and guides us and provides for us and takes care of us. In First Timothy 3:15, there's another picture of the church. And I think this is probably one of the most important pictures in our current society today. The church is a pillar in support of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul talking to Timothy, he says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church exists to uphold and support The truth of God. And we must stand firm in proclaiming the truth. We must stand firm in practicing the truth. Because once we compromise the the proclaiming of the truth or the practicing of the truth is when we cease to be the church of God. We can't be the church of God if we're not a pillar of truth. We can't be a church of God if we don't uphold God's truth A church that says they're a church and they don't uphold the truth of God, they're not a church according to Scripture. And there are many churches today who exist but don't uphold the pillar of truth. They are simply a body gathering together, not as the body of God, but just as a body of people. We need to be a church that always upholds the truth of Scripture. And the moment we stop upholding the truth of Scripture is the moment we cease to be The church of God. Scripture also compares the church to the kingdom of God. We live and we function under the rule of Jesus Christ our King. Jesus is our King. And we serve Him. We serve His purposes and not ours. We follow His plan and not ours. And we do not get to decide what the church should be. But rather we submit to Jesus our King who says what the church is. The church is not the building. We as the people of God are the church of God. The second question I want to answer is who builds the church? The person of God, Jesus Christ, is the builder and the foundation of the church of God. Matthew 16, 13 to 18 that we just read. In verse 13, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, Guys, who do people say I am? They respond that some say he's Elijah and some say he's other prophets. And and notice there's no hostile views. They affirm that the people were saying that Jesus was a godly man, that Jesus was a prophet. But notice what is missing. No one said, well, Jesus, people are saying you are the son of God. No one's saying, well, Jesus, you are, are God who came in the flesh. And then Jesus turned around and he asked his disciples the very same question. And Peter, being the spokesman of the group, he spoke up and he said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus makes it clear to Peter that his response was not the result of his own doing, but his response was the product of divine revelation because the answer to Jesus' question was, was revealed to Peter by God the Father. And then we come to verse 18 critical verse and this one verse has caused a lot of questions and even controversy throughout the history of the church in fact in the past Roman Catholics have used this verse to say Peter was the first pope but listen to what Jesus says and listen carefully he said on this rock Peter I will build my church Jesus is saying, you are Peter. And on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the you is very emphatic because Jesus is referring to Peter as the man who just made a significant statement revealing an incredible truth about who Jesus is. And Jesus is using a play on words as the name Peter means rock. So he says, Peter, you are the rock. And Dwayne Johnson thought he was the first rock. He has nothing on Peter. He says, Peter, you are the rock. And then he says this, on this rock I will build my church. What is the rock that Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about Peter himself? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about the apostles? Is he talking about the gospel? The rock. That Jesus is referring to upon which he is going to build his church. It's not Peter himself. But it's Peter's declaration about the identity of Christ. You see the church is not built on Peter. The church is built on Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah. The son of the living God. This is what the church is built on. This is the foundation of the church. Now, even though Peter is not going to, to be the one who is, is the builder of the church, there is no doubt that God is going to use Peter and he will use us to help build his church. And we can't deny in the book of Acts that the church began with Peter. And we can't deny when we read the book of Acts that Peter was very instrumental in starting the universal church. Because if you go to Acts chapter 2 and you read the sermon that Peter preached, one of the greatest evangelical, evangelistic sermons you'll ever hear, and you will see what happened after he preached, how the Spirit moved and thousands were added to the church because of Peter's message. And then you continue reading the book of Acts and you see what Peter and John and the apostles did and how thousands were added to the church daily. Even though the church wasn't built on Peter, on the apostles, God used his people at that time to build his church. And God wants to use us to help build his church as well. But notice whose church it is. Jesus says, Peter, upon your confession of truth, upon what you just said, I will build my church. Jesus was making it very clear the church wasn't going to be Peter's church. The church is not going to be my church. The church isn't going to be your church. Jesus was making it very clear that the church was going to be his church. No person, no program, no personality should be the foundation of the church. A church should be known not just by what they do, but more importantly, a church should be known by whom they follow. A church should not be known for following a pastor. A church should be known for following Jesus Christ. And any church built on anything but Jesus, any church that has any other foundation but Jesus, will not stand now as you know we as a church have upward going and we have 470 kids and and many 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 families here every weekend and one thing we are known for in this community is is our upward program and i must add our concessions as well in fact the photographer this weekend he i was told that a friend in Memphis told him that if he was going to be at Red House, he needed to check out the concession stand because it's the greatest concession stand around. That was Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> Words getting around about our concession stand. No wonder we're having so many people. But but here's the point. I may be partial, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a church that does upward as well as we do. What do I mean by that? Ever since I've been here and ever since this program's been started, Jesus, not basketball, was the focus of Oprah. You see, we use the game of basketball to teach these kids about Jesus. Basketball is not the focus. Yes, we want kids to have fun. Yes, we want them to learn about basketball. Yes, we want them to excel in their skills. But most importantly, we want them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we don't apologize for the fact that that Jesus is the focus of our upward program and not basketball or cheerleading. And I want upward at Red House always to be known as a ministry that teaches Jesus through the game of basketball. And regardless of what we do, I want Red House to be known as a church Who loves Jesus and loves people. And the greatest way we can show we love Jesus and and people is that we love them by sharing Jesus with them. And in his conversation with the disciples, Jesus made it very clear. The church did not depend on Peter. It depended on him and will always depend on him. If Jesus meant he was going to build his church upon Peter, wouldn't he have said on you, Peter, I will build my church? But he didn't say that. The church is built on Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And since we as believers make up the church, our lives should be built on Jesus as well. Think about it. It's difficult for a local church to be built on Jesus if the lives of the people within the church are not built on Jesus. It's hard to have a church that's following Jesus if the people in church are not following Jesus. If we want the church to be what it wants to be, we as the people of the church need to be who God wants us to be. Look how Jesus concludes in verse 18. He just said, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And then he says, the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's the gates of Hades? Well, it shows an image of strength. And this is a reference to the powers of death. And Jesus is saying that the gates of hell are not even strong enough, won't even come close to prevailing Against the church. And Jesus is giving us the assurance. That because he is the builder. That because he is the foundation of the church. Nothing in this world or the next world can defeat the church. Can defeat the gospel of being proclaimed by the people of Christ. Not even death. Now local churches may die out. Local churches are dying out. But the universal church will never die. The universal church will never be overthrown. Because Jesus is alive and will always be alive. Throughout the history of the church, many attempts have been made to snuff out the church and to crush the church. But all have failed and none will ever succeed. J.C. Ryle, who was an English evangelical Anglican bishop in the 1800s said this. He said, "'Nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on, the, on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The pharaohs, the hares, the neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands and pass away and go to their own place.'" The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in his turn. It is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. It is a bush which is often burning and yet is not consumed. I could not have said it any better than that. The church is a living, breathing organism that is built on Jesus Christ and will last for all eternity and never So why does the church exist? The church exists to bring glory to God by fulfilling the purposes of God. The church exists to bring glory to God by fulfilling the purposes of God. You see, the purpose of the church is to bring glory to God and to reflect the glory of God. Ephesians 3.21, Paul says this, to him, meaning God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Charles Bridges, who was a preacher and theologian in the Church of England in 1800, said this, The church is the mirror that reflects the effulgence. Now, I had to look up that. I'm not that smart. Effulgence means radiance or brilliance. That reflects the radiance or the brilliance of the divine character of God. The church is the body of believers in which God's glory should dwell and through whom God's glory should be seen. So how do we as a church reflect the glory of God? Go to Acts two forty two to forty seven. A very familiar passage of scriptures of the first church. It's right after Peter's famous message on the gospel, and three thousand people were added to the church. And then it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, fear. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they voted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. The church reflects the glory of God by gathering together to know God and making Him known through worship, through fellowship, through ministry, through discipleship, and through evangelism, the five functions of the church. The church is God's plan to exalt Christ, to encourage believers, to bring hope to the world. Now some words of caution. The church does not only exist to fulfill some of her God-given functions. The church exists to fulfill all of her God-given functions. We as the church are to fulfill all five functions that are in Acts two forty-two through 47. And unfortunately, there have been some movements and even some churches whose sole focus is only one of these. I think of the seeker-sensitive movement that was big in the 90s and early 2000s. Churches who followed that movement, their sole focus was evangelism. And that model really didn't work, and it does not work, because everything the church does is determined by the perceived needs of the unchurched, and there's no mechanism for discipleship and no mechanism for fulfilling the other functions. And the thought process behind this is the church needs to adapt to the world to win the world. The problem with this is the church adapts to the world. The result, it looks like the world instead of Christ. And Charles Spurgeon was aware of this temptation of churches to have this mindset. He said this, he said, I believe one reason why the church of God at this present time has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. That very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. He further said, put, he put your finger on any prosperous page in church's history. And I will find a little marginal note reading this. In this age, men could readily see where the church began and where the world ended. Never were there good times when the church and the world were joined in marriage with one another. The more the church is distinct from the world in her acts and her maxims, the more true is her testimony for Christ, and the more potent is her witness against sin. I agree with Charles Spurgeon. The world should never influence the church. The church should always influence the world. The church is never to look like the world or be influenced by the world. The church is always to look like Christ and to influence the world for Christ. When the church starts looking like the world, the church stops being the church. Then you take the other extreme. What if a church existed for the sole purpose of discipleship? With this model, the purpose of the church would only be to serve the needs of the believers. In the same way the church does not exist just for fellowship. A church just built on fellowship will not last. The church is just not to be built on corporate worship. There is so much more to church than coming together for corporate worship and doing nothing else. Now I do believe that even though the church does not exist just for worship, worship is the catalyst for ministry. Worship is the catalyst for missions and evangelism and discipleship and fellowship. But God's desire is for the church to fulfill all of these functions and not just one of them or two of them or three of them. God's desire is for the church to fulfill every single one of these. God's desire is for us to know Him, to grow in Him, to worship Him, to serve Him, to share Him, and to live for Him. And when we understand the local church exists for the glory of God, we see that His glory is meant to be the ultimate determining factor in everything that the church does. Everything we do as a church, worshiping God, encouraging and ministering to others, evangelizing the world, everything we do as a church should bring glory to God. If what we do doesn't bring glory to God, we shouldn't be doing it. And we need to understand how God defines the church. And then we need to follow him in obedience. This time I want you to watch this quick video by J.I. Packer. What is the church? J.I. Packer was a 20th century English-born Canadian evangelical theologian. Say that ten times fast. In 1973, he wrote the classic book, Knowing God. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. But I want you to listen to this quick video on what J.I. Packer says the church is.
1: The church is the fellowship of all the Christians that there are. And it's the family of God. So just as every father wants all his children to take each other seriously and live together in love as a family, so our Heavenly Father wants the whole community of those whom he saved out of every nation and tribe and culture and part of the world to take each other seriously as brothers and sisters in the family and that means taking the church seriously. The family organizes itself in any number of what we call congregations. Um, congregations are groups of Christians in the same area who gather together to worship God the Father, to worship and love the Lord Jesus, God the Son, to love each other and celebrate the fact that they are all in the reality of eternal life together and to spread the word of the christian gospel as widely as they can in their own part of the world and for that matter to organize the spreading of the gospel in other parts of the world if they're able to do that this is a way of saying that for god the father it's enormously important that the church his family be, shall I say, doing its stuff. And any person who thinks that I can be a Christian on my own without the church is really perverse. I'm sorry to have to say it, but I'll repeat it, really perverse. You can't live the real Christian life except as a member of the family and so as part of the church.
0: The church is not a building. And this is in your notes at the very bottom. This is my definition of the church. The church is not a building. The church is the people of God whose foundation is God. Who work together as a team to bring glory to God by fulfilling the purposes of God. This is the church. And my prayer is for Red House. To not be a church in name only, but to be a church whose foundation is God, who brings glory to Jesus by lifting up and living out the name of Jesus, by loving Jesus and loving others. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and just thank you for your word and for your truth. And Father, and may this morning we've come to worship with our own preconceived ideas of what church is and what church isn't. And Father, I just pray this morning that you reveal to us through your word, God, what church really is. Father, the church is not about the building. The church is about your people coming together to fulfill the five purposes of the church to bring glory to your name. And Father, everything that we do as a church, everything that we do is the body of Christ, should bring glory and honor to you, Father. And, Father, if you want us to be the church that you want us to be, we need to be the people that you want us to be. God, if we want to build Red House Baptist Church upon Jesus, Father, our lives need to be built upon Jesus. Father, I pray we wouldn't be a church in name only, but that we would truly be a church of the living God. And, Father... Maybe there are those this morning that need to come to this altar and say, I haven't been the person I need to be. Father, maybe there's people this morning that are building their lives on everything else but Jesus. And they, they want to come and say, I want to build my life on Jesus. Father, I just ask that you would work in hearts this morning. That people's of, perspective of church would be changed. Father, maybe there's people here this morning who want to come to this altar and just pray for our church. Pray for Red House to be a pillar of truth and a supporter of truth and to never waver in our commitment to you. To pray for us to be a team that works together to fulfill the purposes of the church so that we can bring glory to you. Maybe to pray that we would be a a team and a family that works together. That desires to love you and love others. God, may we be the church you want us to be. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning who's never given their life to you. God, if they want to be part of the universal church. If they want to be part of the bride of Christ and the family of God. Father, their first step is to give their life to you. And to ask Jesus to come into their lives to be their savior and Lord. Father, work in the hearts of your people today. Lord, maybe there are those who are considering membership. And Lord, as J.I. Packer said, we can't live this Christian life alone. We need the church, we need the body of Christ to live the life that you want us to live. Maybe you're calling some people, some families today to join us. But God, we just want your will to be done this morning. And Father, we just ask you to move in this invitation, this time of commitment, that people would respond to you in obedience. And God, we just thank you for this time of worship. And now, Father, it's time for us to respond to you. We love you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.